quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Really, it should be a long horizon on being a perpetual learner, not just the immediate expert. So it's like Joel. It took him two decades to, to be where he is. So I think that's applicable to our industry. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Phil Boyja. Phil is joining us from Bergen County, New Jersey. He is the Director of Acquisitions at Triple Net Invest, where they raise equity to buy both existing cash flowing and value-add triple net properties and vacant retail. Phil's portfolio consists of about a dozen value-add single-tenant retail properties across the U.S. Phil, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? Great. Thanks. I used to listen to this podcast every day on my commute to work while I was trying to figure out how to get into real estate full-time. What do you mean you used to listen to it? What do you listen to now? Still this, still this. <laughs> just uh... Hey, listen, we're glad to have you on here, Phil. If you would, can you share a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. So I was in federal law enforcement for 14 years. I was with the U.S. Marshals for eight years, and then I was a special agent with Homeland Security for six years. About 12 years ago, my supervisor at the time told me that he made more money from real estate than he did from the job. And I was interested in that, right? So I'd ask him some questions about it and he wouldn't talk to me until I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So it took me some time. I eventually read the book. It had a huge impact on me. And then he and I connected. He helped me buy my first two family. And then over the next few years, I scaled up a little bit and then I discovered net lease retail. And that's when I came across Joel Owens on Bigger Pockets, and he helped me transition out of my residential properties into some net lease properties. So I tried to stay in touch with Joel as much as I could because that's when I realized I really wanted to be involved in, in retail real estate. And he was an expert in the space, and I just I liked what he was doing and how he was doing it. So I just wasn't sure how to get involved with him. It was actually something you said on the podcast, which was something along the lines of you have to be valuable to someone in order to get around them, right? To get around the people who are doing what you want to do. So as soon as I heard that, I sent Joel an email and said, let me work for you for free for a position that he had open for a syndication. He said, okay. And here I am today doing acquisitions for him full time. Wow. Good for you. I love that story. Joel Owens is legendary. He is on bigger pockets often. He is a buyer's rep for commercial properties. What was it that you were doing for Joel? Well, I was a client of Joel's at the time when I was still working. So he had a position open for director of acquisitions because he was looking to build out the syndication side of his business. So that's what I did. I started working for him and then it just rolled into a full-time position. Good for you. I love that story. Phil, when you were buying houses and duplexes, you must have had a goal of acquiring a certain number of doors, a certain amount of passive income that you wanted to achieve. What made your mind shift into triple net retail? My goal was to reach a cash flow number where I was comfortable pivoting careers. 
I quickly saw with residential real estate that it was difficult for me to scale because of the ebb and flow of variable expenses. I just couldn't get a steady income to where I was comfortable. It was net lease where you could actually model out a predictable stream of income there. So it just made more sense to me. Is your goal still a passive income number or is it a net worth number? I would say passive income. I'm still pretty focused on monthly income. Why is that? There's no right or wrong answer, right? Uh, I'm yeah, just yeah. really curious. I guess it's because my net worth, that's great. It's just that the monthly cash flow is something that is more useful to me than my net worth, which may go up or down based on interest rates, right? So I got two young kids and one on the way, daycare. So I'm focused on passive income. Yeah, understood. And what I tell people often is passive income will get you out of a W-2 net worth will keep you there because a lot of deals that you will end up doing, they produce heavily on the back end. They may not cash flow huge on the front end, but when you're buying these vacant centers and you fill them up, man, you've added a ton of value to your net worth, right? And the challenge is net worth can't pay your bills, <laughs> right, right, right? Right. So awesome, man. What are you focused on now? Are you just looking for acquisitions in the triple net space? There's two focuses of, of the company. Joel obviously works with clients that want to own single tenant and multi-tenant properties direct. And the other side is the syndication side. And in the syndication side, we have two focuses, which is a core plus strategy where everything we do has to do with underlying real estate fundamentals. It's all focused on the quality of the real estate first. So the core strategy is investment grade tenants on existing leases. And that way we can provide a low volatility income stream to our limited partners. And then the other side of the syndication is the value add strategy where we're buying vacant single tenant properties across the U.S. that we look to double our equity upon lease of. And the vacant properties that you're buying, are they all single tenant properties? Yeah, we're focused on single tenant. We're very opportunistic. If we see something that's multi-tenant, we'll take a look at it, but we're mostly focused on single tenant. It's just cleaner deals for us right now. Is there not a higher risk in that you can have a property that has no income whatsoever versus if you have a multi-tenant property that has maybe 20 or 30 or 40% vacancy, at least there's some income coming in. You might be breaking even, but when you buy a single tenant building that's vacant, there's no income. And how do you determine how long it's going to take to find a tenant? So we usually give it 12 months to lease up, but this strategy is getting into these properties at such a low basis that we have immediate built-in equity just as downside protection. We're, we're focused on downside protection. So as far as risk with the multi-tenant, that's true. It's just that from a management point of view, we're scaling up. Last year, we bought one a month. So just from a management point of view, it's just easier for it to scale that way. Phil, is there a geographic region that you focus on? We're all across the U.S. We're looking in areas where tenants want to be. So where they're expanding five-mile demographics, traffic counts, sight lines, population growth. What are the hot markets? Arizona. We just made an offer on a property in Arizona. There's obviously Florida, Texas, Tennessee. They're on fire. But there's some opportunities in smaller markets too. So we look everywhere. Phil, what kind of price range are these single tenant buildings going for? 
Our acquisitions are sub 2 million, usually sub 1 million. And we look to be sub 3 million usually on our exit. That's because the majority of those net lease investors that are looking to buy those properties that are sub 3 million, three quarters of them are cash buyers. So there's less volatility with interest rate environment. All right. So this isn't for the faint of heart, man. You're buying five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar vacant buildings and you're hoping they get leased up in 12 months. What if they don't? That's where our basis comes into play. If we're not hitting our rent per square foot or there's some sort of unforeseen market condition where we can't get it leased up the way we want to, we'll sell it. We'll sell it to developer and user and still be profitable. So it's all downside protection. Phil, you mentioned investment grade tenants. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. An investment grade tenant is a tenant that has a triple B minus or better credit rating with S&P. Those will be your large publicly traded companies. And when they sign a lease, they have a corporate guarantee on that lease. And typically the only way out for them is if that parent company files for bankruptcy. Is that right? That's right. And usually investment grade tenants have a less than 1% bankruptcy historically. How long are those leases typically signed for? They vary. They could be 10 years, 15, 20 years, 25 in some instances. And for the best ever listeners, when you sign a fresh 10 year lease with a national tenant, that property has its highest value on that day. Do you sell it immediately or do you let it cash flow for a little bit? Because as each year goes on, essentially the value of that lease diminishes. So how long do you hold these things after you sign? We have a three-year hold period. So we say 12 months to lease it up. We'll cash flow it for two years. And then we look to exit year three. Why not just sell it immediately, move on to the next one? If that makes the most sense, we'll do that. We've done that. We're in the process of selling some properties to an end user in two years, just because it made more sense for investors. Our initial structure is to cash flow for two years just to get the IRRs up for our investors, year three. The million dollar question, how do I get a national tenant to sign a lease in my building? You have to have good relationships with the tenant rep brokers. That really gives you some insight into where these tenants are looking to expand. So obviously an investment grade tenant is our goal, but then we work our way down to large franchisee, mid-level franchisee, small franchisee, and then mom and pop. We're not afraid to move down that scale. So it just depends what makes the most sense. Got it. And again, to explain that to the best ever listeners, if you have a national tenant, it is the safest lease, easy to sell because essentially the buyer is buying an income stream. It is the closest you're going to get to mailbox money, right? Right. That's the lowest risk. Yeah. In all honesty, the buyer could be in Alaska. They never have to visit the property because they're buying a piece of paper. Now, when you move down, you mentioned a large franchisee. So this could be somebody who owns 30 Arby's or 20 McDonald's. And now they have a bit of a corporate guarantee. Right. In the large franchisee scale, we usually categorize that as a hundred plus unit operator. So you just have to be careful with the large franchisees because private equity has entered that space. And that's not an ideal tenant for us. That's why the focus on the underlying real estate is so important. Why is private equity not an ideal tenant? Nothing against private equity, but I just think they tend to use the highest amounts of leverage possible to get 
expenses down and net operating income up. So I think it raises the risk profile of the corporate guarantee. We just prefer to have a business owner who has a long-term horizon for that business and is not over leveraged and just wants to operate these as optimal as possible. Yeah, that is a great point. One that I have not really thought of, but when you have a franchisee that has 100 stores or restaurants of something, they're focused on expanding, fine tuning their operations, taking care of their people. When private equity gets involved, they have one mission, turn and burn, grow and sell. So they want to maximize NOI by any and all means necessary. If that means shutting down some stores, going dark or cutting staff. Yeah, I totally get that. So that's a great illustration that you had. Phil, I've got to ask you a question in that I recently interviewed a commercial broker and this person impressed me for a lot of reasons, but he doesn't take down his own deals. Now, there's a handful of brokers that focus on just that being a commercial broker, but then there's others that are also investors. And my fear sometimes in dealing with people like that is that if they find a really good deal, they're going to keep it for themselves. You guys syndicate, but you also find great properties for your clients. If you found a home run, is it just not naturally instinctive to take it down yourself? It depends Joel has a key. He works with investors. So for example, he was working with a client who was in an exchange and she had about 28 million to place. So he had found a medical property, about 32 million in Arizona. He located this property for her. She couldn't perform on it. She just didn't have the funds to close it. So once she turned it down, we then made an offer on it to try and syndicate Ultimately, it didn't work out because the seller wanted more than we were willing to pay. But yeah, it's, there's no real conflict there only because we're looking usually in higher price ranges than clients are looking in. And as far as the vacant, Joel does not find vacant spaces for clients. That's just something we do ourselves. Understood. So for clients, is it just a mixture of value add and fully leased normal properties that have long-term leases? low risk and lower returns? Or do you have clients that come to you and say, listen, I want to grow this money as fast as I can. I want you to buy value add properties, in which case you'll buy something that's got a fair amount of vacancy in it. Yeah. So it's two separate things. Owning direct where the client just owns it themselves. Those are going to be long-term leases, investment grade tenants. And then on the syndication side, if there's a client who says they want to grow their cash as quickly as possible, and they're interested in retail value add, we usually place their money in, in that syndication in, in the value add side. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. A 1031 exchange is one of the greatest tools to build your real estate portfolio. But before you sell your next investment property, if you want to save thousands in capital gains taxes, please give our friends at 1031 Pros a call. Whether you're an individual investor, title company, or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help you or your clients with their 1031 exchange needs. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros specializes in various types of exchanges like delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states, all while ensuring your transaction is fast, reliable, transparent, and secure. 
1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges. And right now, best ever listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash best ever. That's my1031pros.com slash best ever to get $250 off today. Have you heard that Mint, the popular personal finance app, is shutting down? If you use Mint, that's bad news. The good news is that there's an even better alternative, Monarch Money. Monarch gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with others. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash best ever. Most personal finance apps are clunky and cluttered with ads. Monarch is different. Its intuitive design makes setup, customization, and everyday use simple and easy. Monarch is also the most customizable budgeting app available. You can change your dashboard layout, create custom budgets and notifications, and even invite your partner, accountant, or financial advisor to have a joint view of your finances at no extra cost. Once you try Monarch for yourself, you'll understand why it was named 2024's best budgeting app by the Wall Street Journal. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash best ever. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash best ever for your extended 30-day free trial. Once you find a property for a client, so I have $5 million, Phil, I need you to find me a property that I can invest this money in. Once I buy it, are you still available to hold my hand? Do you manage these properties or is it good luck, Ash, wish you the best? When Joel finds a property for a client to own direct, Joel is available throughout the life cycle of them owning the property. He helped me find a strip center in Columbus, Ohio, and I still ask him questions about stuff, cam reconciliation. And he's always answering questions. Um, clients reach out all the time just about questions about their lease. And yeah, Joel's available to answer any of those questions for clients that own directly. Yeah. Do you recommend your clients use a property management company or self-manage? As far as multi-tenant, the strip center I have, I do not manage it myself. Um, I have a property management company in Ohio. I just don't have the time or really the desire to manage it myself because I'm focusing on the syndication. What do you pay the property management firm? I pay 5%. If they bring you tenants, do they get an additional fee on top of that? If one of my spaces goes vacant, they have a leasing team, which I would pay a leasing commission to the leasing team. Mm -hmm. Understood. Can we dive into that property? How many tenants? I have five tenants. Are they national, regional, mom and pops? One of them is a One Medical, which is, I think Amazon just bought them, and that's a corporate guarantee. The other one is Pliables, which is a corporate guarantee. I have Clean Eats, which is another corporate guarantee. And then I have Oberer's Flowers, which is a statewide in Ohio, which is also a corporate guarantee. What was the purchase price on this? That one was 5920000 in terms of debt, was it 20% down? We put down 37%. Why so high? That's what the lender required at the time. Okay. Would it be your inclination to put as little as possible down? I would say no, only because I feel a little more comfortable with lower leverage just because it helps mitigate the debt maturity risk. I like having that equity once 10 years is up, the balloon payment. Wouldn't you rather have that money in the bank for the next deal? I understand that strategy. I just have peace of mind with a little bit higher LTV. 
Yeah, understood. And again, there's no right answer for that. My opinion on that is I would put as little money down as possible on any deal. But now the question is, Ash, then you're going to get over leveraged. Not really. As long as you've got the reserves sitting in your checking account, you're not over leveraged. If you don't have your one, two years of expenses in liquidity and you're over leveraging on all your properties, that's a problem. So yeah, understood. In the future, what's your ideal percentage that you would put down on a property? It depends on the interest rate. It depends on what my cash on cash returns would be there. My next property, I'll sit down with Joel and, and figure it out. Yeah. Phil, what is your cash on cash return on this Columbus Strip Center? My cash on cash there, it's about 5.3%. So Joel, when I first exchanged out of residential, he found me a Walgreens at a five and a half cap. And then 10 months later, he was, I think you could sell us at a five cap. And then I did. So that was a huge gain that we didn't exchange into the strip center. Do you have a target cash on cash return that you shoot for? With investment grade tenants, like really well located. I wanted at a minimum, like 5% cash on cash personally. What about a value add deal? Value add deal. We want to be doubling our equity upon lease up there. So if we're buying a property at half a million we speak to a number of leasing brokers in that particular market to get a conservative rent per square foot. And then we use that conservative number as our target. And we would have to be at a million dollars upon stabilization there. Can you speak to the multifamily investors that are now in a bit of a competitive landscape? Cap rates are decompressing. Banks are not really willing to lend on multifamily as they were a couple of years ago. If they wanted to get into retail, what would your advice be? I think if you're looking to get out of multifamily like I was, I think you should speak to an expert in the retail space that is focused on the buyer side. Because I spoke to a ton of brokers before I ended up going with Joel. And the thing with a lot of brokers is they work for large brokerages. So if you ask them to find you a net lease deal, they're going to put their inventory in front of you because right? they have big teams. They have large splits. It's difficult to really get, in my opinion, an objective opinion there. So I would focus on a buyer side broker that is sourcing these deals across all brokerage platforms. Does that mean that you guys don't take on listings? Someone can't come to you and say, hey, I've got this retail vacancy. Can you guys list it for me and try to find a tenant? Yeah, we do not do that. Oh, interesting. All right. So let's go back to your point. And you're right. If I'm a broker, and I've had this happen so many times, where we approach a broker, hey, what kind of deals do you have? Well, here's what we're looking for. Here's our buy box. And you're right. They show their own listings because they get to double dip in the commissions. Okay. So is that common to have just a buyer side agent out there? It's not common. I think a lot of brokers represent themselves as that, but again, it just kind of goes back to pushing their own inventory. Then there are ones that are not with large brokerages that do that. And I spoke to a handful of them. Just Joel, in my opinion, was far more knowledgeable and seemed the leading expert in this space. Yeah. Many years ago, I've reached out to him a number of times on Bigger Pockets, and he was very gracious with advice and always willing to help people. But I really want to go back to what you said. That is, if somebody is looking to purchase retail, triple net, single tenant, whatever it is, you want to find a buyer side broker that also does not have their own listings. 
because now their time is spread. You want somebody hyper-focused on just finding clients, great properties. Yeah. I love that model. Just to expand on that, Joel requires a written exclusive with his clients to do that. And there's times where a client or potential client will say, well, I don't want to sign an exclusive because no other broker makes me do that. And the answer to that is that's because he's independently wealthy from being a broker. He's an investor and he just likes doing these deals. But once you become a client of his on the exclusive agreement, he's going out and he's finding these properties for you, right? He's spending time, he's sourcing them. He's going through thousand properties a week to find, um, because if you're spending millions of dollars, you really want to be working with an expert that's going to verify the lease and make sure that that location has strong underlying real estate fundamentals for a second use in mind. What are some key questions that you ask to figure out what the investment profile is of these clients? When I talk to an investor, I first try and figure out if they're looking to own direct. And if they are, then I connect them with Joel and he speaks to them about that. If it's investing as a limited partner, then I just try and figure out, are they looking for that immediate in-place cash flow, low volatility, or are they looking for something that has a higher equity upside? In which case, we'll talk about the value ideas. Phil, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? It's really two things. One thing I touched on earlier, which was something you said, which had a huge impact on me, actually changed my life because it was... If you want to get around the people who are doing what you want to do, you have to be valuable to them. I think that's huge because if you want to change careers or you want to do something different, then that's key. The second thing I would say is something a guy named Michael Herklotz said. He owns a cigar company called Ferriotego. He had said, today, there's a rush to be the expert in things. Today, a guy who's brand new in an industry is looking to sell courses and sell advice and start his YouTube channel. And really it should be a long horizon on being a perpetual learner, not just the immediate expert. So it's like Joel, it took him two decades to, to be where he is. So I think that's applicable to our industry. Yeah, that's great advice. I'm glad you ran with that. And there's no better way to demonstrate that than work for free, which is what you did. Phil, that's incredible. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. Our, what's the best ever book you recently read? I would say The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. What was your big takeaway from that? I think there's things that you run into and it's easy to get discouraged, but really it's an opportunity to overcome it, to face it, and ultimately just makes you stronger, figuring out problem solving and alternative solutions. Phil, what's the best ever way you like to give back? Joel and I have been talking about starting a net lease retail focused meetup, annual or semi-annual, because there's not a whole lot of meetups that are focused on retail or net lease. So I'm just trying to help Joel organize that for investors or people who are interested in investing or just want to get around people who are doing it. That's a great idea because we have ICSC, which it's the who's who of everybody, but you've got to be somebody to get some traction there. So I think that's a great idea. I would love to help if I can with that. Phil, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? You can email me, phil with one L at nnninvest.com, or you can go to nnninvest.com and fill out our form and I'll get in touch. With you. Phil, I'm glad you shared your story today. It was so important for listeners to hear adding value to achieve where you want to be and you've accomplished that. 
I'm glad you got out of multifamily and into retail. You're doing great things. You've got a great mentor. Thank you for your time today, Phil. Thank you. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Share this episode with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.